Campfire Classics is a classic literature podcast. However, your hosts will occasionally use not-so-classy language and immature humor to describe very mature situations. As such, listener discretion is advised. Hi, I'm Ken Sandberg. And I'm Heather Michelle Lawler. Welcome to Campfire Classics, where we try to read those books that look really good on your shelf. Jet plane going down the runway. Jet plane going down the runway. Oh, yeah. I turned it into a fighter jet in my head. Apparently, I do not. I'm not across the way from a uh, military base. Thank God. Oh no, uh, it's not. A, it's not a military. It's not Air Force base. It's not Air Force. It's it's like a it's like the local prop plane place. The people that like have like the four seater jets. Like the biggest thing that goes through there is like ten seats, maybe. Oh, yeah. all right. So you're probably not at risk of being collateral damage from a major military uh, thing. I hope not. That's good. <laughs> That's good. Now I'm nervous. Well, no, don't be nervous. We've just established that you're not at risk. Okay. <laughs> that's that's the opposite there, of nervous. That's There good are news. two black helicopters over there a lot that are very military looking, but I'm guessing they're not. Oh, so it's a secret military base. Probably. So <laughs> you're not you're not at risk from standard run of the mill military action, but when the aliens invade, you don't want to be there because Oh yeah. Yeah. That's well, where which, shit's going to go down. Which, you know, given the year and a half we've all had, I, you know, who knows? Yeah, this little <laughs> this little municipal uh, airport off the, like, in on the port of Puerto Rico is the, the, um, the island version of Area 51. Sweet. Oh, my God. Now I wish I could get off the ship and go explore. <laughs> well, how are your climbing out of water skills? Climbing out of water skills? Yeah, because if you just jump off your balcony and into the water and then swim over to the alien base, you could swim back and climb back into your room without anyone ever knowing. I wish I was above the water. No, when we're ported, I'm like up against the port. It's not the prettiest view. Oh. <laughs> like <laughs> the view in the distance is really lovely. Like we get the sunset, but like right below us is literally like the dirty the, port. The dock. <laughs> yeah, if we we were on the other side of the ship we'd have a beautiful view of the water in in old puerto rico no we have an old san juan no we have uh no we've got the the uh the port and then an uh airport and then across from that is the cargo ships loading oh, well <laughs> at least if aliens come down you get to watch that happen that is true yeah. that'll be exciting cool. i will let you know when that happens please do hey everybody hi uh, listener i'm Hi, I'm still in Puerto Rico. Uh, clearly, that was, that was a tangent of randomness. I'm sorry. That was a very strange cold open. That was a bizarre way to start the episode. <laughs> Let's see if we can fix that energy. Yes, uh, I'm still in uh, San Juan when we recorded this. Um, and uh, we're kind of taking advantage of the fact that I have LTE awesome service right now because Puerto Rico is technically America, as we discovered during our last episode. Well, some of us already knew that. Well, I knew that, too. That's why I knew I got free LTE. But, like, I still keep calling it a different country because, like, we're so far away. I mean, but, yes, because I have good service here, we're going to we're gonna throw down a bunch of episodes so that we're prepared for when yeah. I'm back out at sea. We're going to throw down. Throw down Campfire Classics. It's <laughs> <laughs> good shit. That's the good shit. So, Camper, how's your week been? 
It's been uh, 24 hours since we recorded our last episode, so we don't have a lot to talk uh, about. So now it's your don't turn. Know a, lot, a lot happened here today. Uh, we found out at least the Norwegian Joy. I don't know if this is going to be fleet-wide or it's just our ship or what the hell is going on, but the captain made an announcement this morning that was like, hey, everybody. So um, all crew will be granted shore leave when we set sail with passengers on the 20th. And we were like, uh-huh. <laughs> like literally everyone went out on their balcony and started screaming in excitement because <laughs> we were prepared to not be able to get off the ship for like two or three months. And that was a daunting, like we were prepared and we still are prepared really. But like hearing that was like fucking like freedom. <laughs> like that we like it was very very much a William Wallace moment. <laughs> Minus the tortured death. Well, I don't know. I've been in quarantine for six days. <laughs> They've been feeding us some really weird food. We, we made like, it. We made it 16 months. I think you can make it six days. Yeah, I know. It's just I want to go do things. I'm so restless. <laughs> I just want to like go do things. I'm bored. Mom, I'm bored. Make me a sandwich. No, not a peanut yeah, butter just, sandwich, a good one. Yeah, I want a real sandwich. Like, I really, oh my God, I cannot even tell you how good, like, so many foods sound that are not in these styrofoam boxes they bring us. Well, actually, they're not styrofoam. They're, com- they're like, compositable, like, compu- com- combustible, composable, compostable, compo- <laughs> I'm just going to let you keep running with this. I think I know the word you're going for. But- compositable? What? I know you know what I'm saying. They compostable? Compost. They compostable. That's it. They're compostable. <laughs> I, although they're probably also combustible. They're probably combustible too. If I like, if you know, like you put like a, a firecracker inside, they'd be a boom. But uh, yeah, or just a match to them and they'd set on fire. Um, which I won't be doing on this ship because we don't need a code Bravo going on uh, <laughs> on the ship. <laughs> code Bravo to Heather's room. Code Bravo. What God were you doing? It, oh, Heather. I was trying to prove a point for my podcast. Thanks. <laughs> no, 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 guys, it's okay. It's art. I'm making art. I'm entertaining people. <laughs> it's fine. Let me out of quarantine and I can go back to doing what I normally do entertainment-wise and then I won't set things on fire. <laughs> or at least when I do set things on fire, I'll make it look like a kitchen accident. Yeah, it'll be Wink. at least in like elements when they actually have fire on stage. <laughs> but yeah, so I'm here, Ken's still in New York, and uh, that's where we are. And uh, we hope you enjoyed last the last episode. I like that story. That was fun. That was a cute one. That was fun. It was. It was very sweet. Uh, so this go. week, we have a little bit of a um, change of pace from last week. So if you like last week's episode, hopefully you'll still enjoy this one. For our first-time listeners, and if we're doing our job right, every episode is somebody's first episode, what we do here at Campfire Classics is read stories to you for the first time, sight unseen, which sometimes turns out great, and sometimes makes it sound like we don't know how to read English. Or say composite, composite, composite. Yeah, so that was just a little preview of what you can expect from this week's story. I don't think I've ever said that word out loud. I know. Compostable. Composting. Compostable. It just sounds wrong. Compostable. 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 It could be compostable. Compostable. 
Compostable. Compost table. Compostable. <laughs> I want it to be like compositable. <laughs> I want it to have more syllables than it does. Because uh, I like to overcomplicate things, as we know, people, listeners. I, I've, I've noticed. <laughs> Yeah, I like to I like to take the the hardest road to a word. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, I have a feeling you'll have lots of those words that you can make a little harder this week if you decide you want to. What did you do? What have you What have you done to me? <laughs> so, uh, dear listener, before we jump into the story, I'm going to give just a, a brief little snippet of some fun facts about this week's author, and this week's author is Sir Arthur Conan Doyle. Him. Yeah, he's great. Uh, so we first covered Sir Doyle in our fourth and fifth ever episodes, and then again <laughs> in episode 18 uh, with The Leather Funnel, an episode titled A Comely Wench. But here are a few things we haven't covered about him. Uh, so we've talked about the fact that he was actually a medical doctor, and we've talked about that mm-hmm. he was a firm believer in the supernatural. But this week, I'm going to talk about his career in sports. Sports. Yes. Okay. Uh, he he was he was a he he was an athlete and a sportsman. Uh, he was the goalkeeper or goalie for his football or soccer for our American fans uh, team, the Portsmouth Association Football Club, and he used the pseudonym. A.C. Smith. I don't know why he used a pseudonym as a soccer player, but... Did did he not want people to know he was a jock because he was an artist and he thought they'd... (laughs) Oh, that might be it. Like, I'm not going to read a book written by some some meathead footballer. Yeah, it's like the opposite of what most people do. Like, they usually are like, I'm going to have a pen name so people don't know who I am in reality. But instead, he used his real name to write books and had a alias for playing sports. This is my sports name. <laughs> this is my this is my jock name. Well, and I like that his jock name is A.C. Like he's almost A.C. Slater. A.C. Slater. He's A.C. Smith. A.C. <laughs> Smith. <laughs> saved by the bell. It's all right. Because I'm saved, saved by, by the, the bell. There's a um, there's a bagel shop down the street from here, and every time I go in there, they have Saved by the Bell playing on one of the TVs. That's amazing. It's so bizarre. It's <laughs> so random. Um. So anyway, he was he was a uh, he was a football goalkeeper for seven years, from 1899 to 1907. He played cricket for the Marlbone Cricket Club, playing in first class matches. He also played oh, for the amateur cricket teams, the Allah Hackberries and the Authors Nine, alongside fellow writers J.M. Barry, P.G. Woodhouse, and A.A. A. Milne. Well, shit. Yeah. Like, so they're all jocks. He, he I was, mean, honestly, cricket, cricket is, I'm going to piss off some people. <laughs> is cricket a sport? <laughs> If golf cricket is a sport. Cricket kind of feels like golf. If cricket golf is feels a sport, like golf to if me. If baseball's a sport, cricket's a sport. I feel like, ba- yeah, I mean, yeah, baseball and cricket are very similar. Cricket is just like, baseball with a tea break. That's all it is. Cricket is baseball without, like, in white clothes. Like, they don't even dress like they're planning to get dirty and sweaty. What, have they're you in, seen like, most sweaters. baseball uniforms? Yeah, but they're in, like, sweaters and, like, vests and, like, they're in all white. Like, come on. Put on a three-piece <laughs> suit, play baseball, and drink tea at every, um... Every inning break. And that's every break. That's cricket. 
It's like, it is, it's like the golf. To me, it's even more like golf in the sense of like, it's like such a leisurely, like, well, it's a toy. I'm going to put on my, my sweater vest and go play a sport. <laughs> um, well, clearly it's, it's a gentleman's sport. Um, in, <laughs> yeah, sure. in 1901, Doyle was selected as one of three judges for the world's first major bodybuilding competition, which was organized by Eugene Sandow, who's known as the father of bodybuilding. The event was held in London's Royal Albert Hall, and the two other judges were sculptor Sir Charles Laws Whitrung and Eugene Sandow himself. All right. Was that one guy? What was that? Well, who was our uh, bodybuilding author from uh, very early on? I don't. The one that kind of looked like you. Yeah, I don't. I don't remember which one was that. Um, uh, O'Brien fits something. O'Brien. I can't remember, but I wonder if he ever competed in one of those. Could could be. <laughs> um, would have been the right time frame. I feel like Eugene Sandow came up when we talked about him. Yeah, I feel like that too. So I wonder if. Well, we'll we'll look into it and let you know later. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> Um, an avid amateur boxer in 1909, <laughs> Doyle was invited to referee the James Jeffries Jack Johnson heavyweight championship fight in Reno, Nevada. Jack Johnson? <laughs> like the hippie guitarist? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Back in 1909. Banana pancakes? Back in 1909, Jack Johnson of, um... What what was what was the album? Uh, Banana Pancakes. Well, no, he, he had an album that was Campfire something, Campfire oh, Fairy Tales, I don't Campfire. Even campfire. I, yeah, there was one that was Campfire something, but the song I always think of is Banana Pancakes. Yes. Anyway, <laughs> yes. Uh, so back in 1909, the guitar playing hippie Jack Johnson was a heavyweight boxer. Speaking of golf. Uh, Doyle was elected the captain of the Crowborough Beacon Golf Club in Sussex in 1910. Oh my God, he played so many sports. And in 1913, he competed in the English Amateur Billiards Championship. Wow. Yeah. I'm. They're all so random and they're all so British. Like, oh yeah. I, I want him to play darts now. Like I also want him to play darts. Like that's, or, or bowls. Yeah. Like, like, did he ever take on curling? Was that a... Uh, well, um, England isn't really far enough north for that. No, it's not, not cold he's enough. Not, not cold enough. It's, yeah, I know. I know. But yeah, that's very interesting. Uh, doesn't uh, Sherlock Holmes, he boxes. He he boxes and fences and he's he is yeah. also an, an avid. A sportsman. Sportsman. He likes, well, I bet he plays, I bet he plays mad billiards too because yeah. Sherlock can see like patterns. So he'd probably be very good at the like geometry of of billiards and pool yeah uh so apparently um he did occasionally uh what's it called in in cricket instead of a pitcher it's the the bowler it's the bowler yeah um apparently he he once uh in one of his first class matches he bowled a game that was so good that a poet wrote a poem about it <laughs> good god <laughs> you know what i hate these people They're just fucking too talented <laughs> yeah yeah um, but uh, those are my fun facts for this week's Sir Arthur Conan Doyle excursion, keeping it nice and short since there are still so many more stories by him that we could read. And I don't want to step on the toes of future fun facts. Very true. This week, you'll be reading a story called Playing with Fire. 
We were just talking about this. I'm not supposed to play with fire in the cabin. I did notice last week that there were a lot of little like bits and jokes that we said early on that came back into the story as well. So it just it seems appropriate that that we talk about fire and now we're playing with fire. Here we go. Combustible. Let's do combustible. (laughs) Speaking of fire, let's start. Let's start it. Let's do it. Playing with Fire by Sir Arthur Conan Doyle. I cannot pretend to say what occurred on the 14th of April last at number 17 Batterley Gardens. Put down in the black and white, my surmise might seem too crude, too grotesque for serious consideration. And yet that something did occur and that it was of a nature which will leave its mark upon every one of us for the rest of our lives is as certain as the unanimous testimony of five witnesses can make it. Oh, shit. All right. (laughs) Wow. Dude, you're setting a a high bar for the craziness of this story. I hope you live up to it. I hope this is aliens or some shit because (laughs) what? Well, I hope it's aliens, just so we have another thing that comes full circle from our I know, right? <laughs> pre-show chat. But I'm imagining it yeah. won't be aliens. Probably I, won't be. I, I don't think that was one of Sir Arthur Conan Doyle's like big, but like his last leather funnel was very like supernatural. Very supernatural, not very alien. Not aliens. Okay. Well, then maybe there's a ghost or something. Yay! Yeah. I love ghosts. Okay. I don't actually love ghosts. I'm not like asking for the ghosts of this ship to come and visit me. Please don't. Actually. This is- Ships are notoriously haunted, and I don't want them. I love ghosts, as in, like, I love you, but please don't, please don't visit me. Okay. Yeah, it's a anyway. cruise ship, though. I mean, there might be some ghosts, but but the people who die on cruise ships are like they're on vacation when they die. How how much bitterness could they have? They died on a vacation that cost a lot of money. <laughs> yeah, but they died on vacation. Yeah, I don't know. I don't like. Let's not tempt fate. Let's not tempt fate. All right. Love you, ghosts, but, you know, stay stay over there. (laughs) Okay. I will not enter into any argument or speculation. I will only give a plain statement, which will be submitted to John Moyer, Harvey Deacon, and Mrs. Del Mare, and withheld from publication unless they are prepared to corroborate every detail. I cannot obtain the sanction of Paul Leduc, for he appears to have left the country. So there are five witnesses. Yep. All right. Moyer, Deacon, so the him, lady, and Leduc. And, and Leduc and him. Yeah. Yep. Okay. It was John Moyer, the well-known senior partner of Moyer, Moyer, and Sanderson, who had originally turned our attention to occult subjects. Ruh-roh. Oh, shit. Uh-oh. He had, like many very hard and practical men of business, a mystic side to his nature, which had led him to the examination and eventually to the acceptance of those elusive phenomena which are grouped together with much that is foolish and much that is fraudulent under the common heading of spiritualism. Now, this is just Doyle trying to normalize his own weird beliefs in the supernatural. Well, he was very much into it, as we talked about when we read Leather. I think I talked about yeah. that a lot um, on yeah, the, the fun facts. Um, 
Yeah. Go back and listen to episode 18, A Comely Wench, for more on that. A Comely Wench is, it's a good episode. That's a great story. It was. That one really stuck with me. So I'm sure this one will too. His researches, which had begun with an open mind, ended unhappily in dogma, and he became as positive and fanatical as any other bigot. He represents <laughs> America. Do we We're know anything not about that? Punches today. Yeah, shit. <laughs> he represented in our own little group the body of men who have turned their singular phenomena into a new religion. Mrs. Delmare, our medium, was his sister, the wife of Delmare, the rising sculptor. Our experience had shown us that to work on these subjects without a medium was as futile as for an astronomer to make observations without a telescope. Oh no, now they have a they have a medium. That's never this is like calling 1-800 like psychic or something. In in my head, we've already turned Mrs. Delmere into uh Otome. Uh, Otome Brown. Yeah. Oh my God, she's Whoopi Goldberg. I'm so happy. Yep, yep that's it. <laughs> oh shit. She, and she's, it's already like, that's it. She's This is already Whoopi Goldberg in my head. Oh my God. Yeah. So I'll be looking forward to your Whoopi Goldberg impersonation. I will not be doing that because I don't want to <laughs> offend anybody. <laughs> Though there are a couple lines of hers that I can pretty much do exactly how she does them. So I might, I might, I might throw that in occasionally, but we'll see. We'll see. All right. We got a medium. All right. On the other hand, the introduction of a paid medium was hateful to all of us. Was it, was it not obvious that he or she would feel bound to return some result for money received and that the temptation to fraud would be an overpowering one? No phenomena could be relied upon which were produced at a guinea an hour. But... <laughs> but fortunately, Moyer had discovered that his sister was mediumistic. In other words, that was, <laughs> yeah, what's mediumistic? In other words. That- I assume that the other words are going to tell us. Yes. But I also assume that mediumistic means like she's- with a propensity to be a medium. Like she's mediumish. Like she has moments. She has moments of mediumism. <laughs> like she'll just be sitting at the table and like. All of a sudden, a ghost. And then, like, someone asks her to do it. And she's like, I can't do it. So they just a, show she's, up. She's about like, a medium medium. Which is basically Otome Brown. Because <laughs> she's pretending, and then it just starts happening to her. Um, all right. He discovered his sister was mediumistic. In other words, that she was a battery of that animal magnetic force, which is the only form of energy which is subtle enough to be acted upon from the spiritual plane as well as from our own material one. So she was a medium. (laughs) Yeah, so ghosts can talk to her. Okay. Yeah. Of course, when I say this, I do not mean to beg the question, but I am simply indicating the theories upon which we ourselves, rightly or wrongly, explaining what we saw. The lady came, not altogether, with the approval of her husband, and though she never gave indications of any great psychic force, we were able, at least, to obtain those usual phenomena of message tilting, which are at the same time so puerile and so explicable. Every Sunday evening, we met at Harvey Deacon's studio at Batterley Gardens, the next house to the corner of Merton Park Road. 
Harvey Deacon's imaginative work in art would prepare anyone to find that he was an ardent lover of everything which was autre, auteur, auteur, and sensational. It's a French word, I think, which means I butchered it. Uh, Autre. Autre. Um, Autre. uh, Outraged? Which was outrageous and sensational. Outrageous and sensational. Outrageous and sensational. That makes sense. Yeah. Um, so was outre and sensational. A certain picturesqueness in the study. I know that word because I played Hannah in Arcadia. <laughs> picturesqueness. Picturesqueness. And she I had to do it in a British accent. So picturesqueness. That's a that's a lot of syllables. Oh good. So you have a handful of words that you can only say in an English accent? I said it in great American accent just now. <laughs> Thank you very much. <laughs> But yes, there are probably words I can only say in a British dialect. (laughs) A certain picturesqueness in the study of the occult has been the quality which has originally attracted him to it. But his attention was speedily arrested by some of those phenomena to which I had referred. (laughs) Every time you say phenomena, I think phenomena. Phenomena, but that's hilarious. And and you've said it like five times already in this story, and this yep. is the first time I've made that sound. Well, so maybe I, when I you edit like it, you're gonna that... add a little little sound effect. That's it. I'm just gonna I'm gonna um, edit in do 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 after every time phenomena. you say do 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 phenomena. I love the Muppets. I hope all our listeners understood that reference. I'm going to guess more of them understood that reference than the blame it on the rain reference from last week. I hope they all understand all the references because they go look it up because they're like, what the fuck are these losers talking about? Anyway, back to the phenomena. His attention was speedily arrested by some of those phenomena to which have referred, and he was coming rapidly to the conclusion that what he had looked upon as an amazing romance and an after-dinner entertainment was really a very formidable reality. He is a man with a remarkably clear and logical brain a true descendant of his ancestor, the well-known Scotch professor, and he represented in our small circle the critical element. The man who has no prejudices is prepared to follow facts as far as he can see them and refuses to theorize in advance of his data. His caution annoyed Moyer as much as the latter's robust faith amused Deacon, but each in his own way was equally keen upon the matter. So they're all very different men with very different views of the world, but they're all intrigued. They've put together a motley crew of extraordinary minds. Yes, this is a this is definitely a uh, uh, an interesting grouping of men here. (laughs) And of course, their medium lady. And I what am I to say that I represented? I was not the devotee. I was not the scientific critic. Perhaps the best that I can claim for myself is that I was de, the the mm, the the dilettante the dilettante. There we go. Yeah. See, I'm getting better. Sound at this. it out. I'm getting better at this. Hooked on phonics works, works for me. me. <laughs> I think a year and a half of reading stories uh, cold is working for me. Honestly, 
Thank you, Scott That's Sandberg. All this is it's just this is, this is just this is just training. Yeah. Thank you, Scott Stackhouse it's, and Ken Sandberg. <laughs> yep, I try. Making me work hard. Okay. Perhaps the best that I can claim for myself is that I was the dilettante man about town, anxious to be in the swim of every fresh movement, thankful for any new sensation which would take me out of myself and open up fresh possibilities of existence. I am not an enthusiast myself, but I like the company of those who are. Moyer's talk, which made me feel as if we had a private pass key through the door of death. What are you laughing at? That sentence basically reads like, oh, I'm not good at things. I just like hanging out with talented people. For sure. I mean, who doesn't? <laughs> like, you always want your friends. You either want to be the most interesting friend in a group or you want everyone else to be much more interesting than you. Because like, then it's yep. like, because then you're learning things or you want to be the like leader. Like, I feel like that's. What's my talent? Oh, I know cool people. Yeah. What's my talent? I have no, I don't have strong opinions and I hang out with really, really interesting people. <laughs> I'm friends with celebrities. I am not an enthusiast myself, but I like the company of those who are. Moyer's talk, which made me feel as if we had a private pass key through the door of death, filled me with a vague contentment. The soothing atmosphere of the seance with the darkened lights was delightful to me. In a word, the thing amused me, and so I was there. <laughs> so she's the medium, he's the enthusiast, he's the scientific mind, I think they're all dumb. He's the doubtful one, and then this guy in the middle is just like, I'm having a great, the, the narrator's just like, I'm having a great time. <laughs> Why was I there? Oh, I came because they said there'd be snacks. I heard there I... was going to be free wine and tapas. <laughs> Someone said something about pizza. Is that, do we, are we splitting that? Are we doing or that at intermission? Can we go on toppings or what's, what's the. What's happening? Can I Venmo you? Um. <laughs> Oda May, are you ordering the pizza or can we. <laughs> it was, as I have said, upon the 14th of April last that the very singular event which I am about to put upon the record took place. I was the first of the men to arrive at the studio, but Mrs. Del Mare was already there, having an afternoon tea with Mrs. Harvey Deacon. The two ladies and Deacon himself were standing in front of an unfinished picture of his upon the easel. I am not an expert in art, and I have never professed to understand what Harvey Deacon meant by his pictures, but I could <laughs> see... He's like, I, don't, I haven't studied art. And I don't pretend to understand why that fucker's famous. <laughs> That's oh, hilarious. That's very much modern is, art. That's like I go to some is, museums and I'm like, the fuck is this? <laughs> yeah, this is this is me at like a, a Pollock exhibit. I have no, <laughs> That's a great sentence. Uh, uh, da, da, da. Oh, it, it's a long sentence. So I'll just kind of. I've never professed to understand what Harvey Deacon meant by his pictures, but I could see in the instance that it was all very clever and imaginative fairies and animals and allegorical figures of all sorts. The ladies were loud in their praises, and indeed, the color effect was a remarkable one. I didn't know what it was about, but it was pretty. It, it, yep, exactly. It's like at modern art, that's a lot of what I say. I'm like, I like the color palette. Like, I like, I like the color wheel they chose. <laughs> I don't know what's going on. I, it's cool. I don't know what's going on. What do you think of it, Markham? He asked. Well, it's above me, said I. These beasts, what are they? 
I like that I'm making the narrator just Heather. Uh, yep. Good choice. <laughs> Mythical monsters, imaginary creatures, heraldic emblems? Heraldic? Yes. Like, like, heraldic emblems. Like, herd, like, like sheep and shit? <laughs> no, like, like heraldry. So like the oh, symbols of great houses, like the the griffin is yeah. a, a heraldic emblem. The yeah. like Saint George the and the dragon yeah. would be yeah. yeah, cool. Mythical monsters, imaginary creatures, heraldic emblems, a sort of weird, bizarre procession of them, with a white horse in front. That's <laughs> not. A horse, said he, rather testily, which was surprising, for he was a very good-humored fellow as a rule and hardly ever took himself seriously. Uh, What is it, then? (laughs) Can't you see the horn in the front? It's a unicorn. I told you they were heraldic beasts. Can't you recognize one? Very sorry, Deacon, said I, for he really seemed to be annoyed. (laughs) Can't you see the horn in the front? Sorry, I thought it was just a boy horse. Uh, (laughs) With a very strangely placed penis. (laughs) I don't know how you study anatomy. He laughed at his own irritation. Excuse me, Markham, said he. The fact is that I have had an awful job over the beast. All day I have been painting him in and painting him out and trying to imagine what a real live ramping unicorn would look like. At last I got him, as I hoped, so when you failed to recognize it, it took me on the raw. Oh, poor boy. so sweet. He tried all day to make the perfect unicorn and then he didn't get an... (laughs) Why, of course it's a unicorn, said I, for he was evidently depressed at my obtuseness. (laughs) I I can see the horn quite plainly, but I never saw a unicorn except besides the royal arms, and so I never thought of the creature. And these... Others are griffins and cockatrices and dragons of sorts. <laughs> I love that he's like covering his ass now. He's like, I recognize all the other ones. See, you're such a good artist. Yeah, you're great. No, <laughs> no, no, awesome. no, 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 don't, don't cry. Please don't cry. Oh God, I'm the worst. I don't know what unicorns are. I'm sorry. <laughs> uh, yes, I had no difficulty with them. It was the unicorn which bothered me. However, there's an end of it until tomorrow. He turned the picture round upon the easel and we all chatted about other subjects. <laughs> His feelings are so hurt. He's like, anyway. Don't say anything about the unicorn. <laughs> Moyer was late that evening. And when he did arrive, he brought with him, rather to our surprise, a small stout Frenchman. Fuck. <laughs> <laughs> Why is Poirot in this story? <laughs> This was unintentional, but I am so delighted. Fuck. Fuck me, fuck. <laughs> fuck. Fuck. Is it fuck moi? What's, what's fuck in French? Baiser moi. Baiser moi. <laughs> so now you know that. Yay! I'm actually really excited to be back on the ship because I get to learn, like, dirty phrases in all these different languages. Like... The Filipinos love to teach us how to say, like, horrible things in Filipino. It's fantastic. (laughs) Anyway. All right. Uh, Okay. 
A small stout Frenchman whom he introduced as Monsieur Paul Leduc. Okay, so this is the guy who left town. Yes. I say to our surprise. So he's the fifth. Yeah, he's the fifth. I say to our surprise, for he held a theory that any intrusion into our spiritual circle deranged the conditions and introduced an element of suspicion. It's like when you get high around people you don't know. It's like it's all of a sudden I feel very uncomfortable and paranoid and things don't go as they as you plan them. I'm just saying. I've never smoked weed. Uh, if you're listening, Grandma. <laughs> oh, whatever. They know. We knew that we could trust each other, but all our results were vitilated by the presence of an outsider. However, Moore soon reconciled us to the innovation. Monsieur Paul Leduc was a famous student of occultism, a seer, a medium, a mystic. He was traveling in England with a letter of introduction to Moore from the president of the Parisian Brothers of the Rosy Cross. What was more natural than that he should bring him to our little seance or that we should feel honored by his presence? He was, as I have said, a small, stout man, un undistinguished in appearance, with a broad, smooth, clean-shaven face, remarkable only for a pair of large brown eyes, velvety eyes. <laughs> I love that I added eyes twice. <laughs> it's a, lar a very large... Hmm, Remarkable only for a pair of large, brown, velvety eyes staring vaguely out in front of him. <laughs> it's fair. That sentence was confusing because we just described a squat Frenchman and didn't put a mustache and on And there's no face. mustache, so I was very, yeah. very thrown. <laughs> very thrown. He was well-dressed with the manners of a gentleman, and his curious little turns of English speech set the ladies smiling. Uh-oh. You know how the ladies love an accent. They do love the French. Oh, bonjour, madame. Oh, wee oui, wee. Oui. Uh, don't, don't, be, don't be talking about your wee wee. Wee wee. Wee wee, madame. <laughs> Mrs. Deacon had a prejudice against our researchers and left the room, upon which we lowered the lights. So I love that this guy's wife is like, these fucking morons. <laughs> She's like, I'm going to go do something productive. Bye. Don't let the spirit stay in the house, honey. Uh. <laughs> Mrs. Deacon had a prejudice against our researchers and left the room, upon which we lowered the lights, as was our custom, and drew up our chairs to the square mahogany table which stood in the center of the studio. The light was subdued, but sufficient to allow us to see each other quite plainly. I remember that I could even observe the curious, podgy, little square-topped hands which the Frenchman laid upon the table. <laughs> he got fat hands. <laughs> Pudgy fingers. Pudgy fingers. All right, who's talking? Oh, oh no. Okay, uh... <laughs> Do it. Uh, what Do what it. fun, said he. It is many years since I have sat in this fashion, and it is to me amusing. Madame is a medium. Does, why is he Italian? <laughs> I don't know. I wasn't going to say anything. Why is French the accent I cannot do? <laughs> Fuck me. <laughs> Baisez-moi. Baisez-moi. <laughs> oh, man. 
I want to like go get my my neighbor in quarantine because he speaks fluent French. Be like, can you read this for me? Thanks. <laughs> no cheating. No, I want. <laughs> no bear. cheating. You can have him read a Poirot mystery later. Say something in a French accent. <laughs> what would you like me to say? What would you like me to say? What fun, he said. It is many years since I since I have sat in this fashion, and it is to me amusing. He's Italian again, whatever. Madame is medium. Does Madame make the trance? Well, hardly that, said Mrs. Delmere, but I am always conscious of extreme sleepiness. (laughs) (laughs) What? (laughs) It is the first stage. Then you encourage it, and there comes the trance. When the trance comes, then out jumps the little spirit, and in jumps another little spirit. And so you have to direct talking or writing. You leave your machine to be worked by another. Hein? But what have unicorns to do with it? Harvey Deacon started in his chair. The Frenchman was moving his head slowly round and staring into the shadows which draped the walls. What a fun, said he. Always unicorns. Who has been thinking so hard on this subject so bizarre? (laughs) (laughs) This is wonderful, cried Deacon. I have been trying to paint one all day, but how could you know it? You have been thinking of them in this room. And now he's, I don't know what he is now. Certainly. But thoughts are things, my friend. When you imagine a thing, you make a thing. You did not know it, Hein, but I see your unicorns because it is not only with my eye that I can see. Do you mean to say that I create a thing which has never existed by merely thinking of it? But certainly, it is the fact which lies under all other facts. That is why an evil thought is also a danger. They are, I suppose, upon the astral plane, said Moore. Ah, well, these are but words, my friends. They are there, somewhere, everywhere. I I cannot tell myself. I see them. I could touch them. You could not make us see them? It is to materialize them. Hold. It is an experiment. But the power is wanting. Let us see what power we have, and then arrange what we shall do. May I place you as I wish? You evidently know a great deal more about it than we do, said Harvey Deacon. I I wish that you would uh, take complete control. He's like, I don't know what the fuck to do. Do it. <laughs> Stranger just walked in and took over the party. He's like, I love that the lady medium is like not saying a word. She's like, hey, fuck, this is my job. <laughs> like, what the hell? I guess I get the well, night you off. She spoke cool. up and started earlier. Cool. I can start drinking. Great. Uh, <laughs> it may be that the conditions are not good, but we will try what we can do. Madame will sit where she is, I next, and this gentleman beside me. Mr. Moyer will sit next to Madame, because it is well to have blacks and blondes in turn. Like black hair. Yeah, yeah. He's going dark hair, light hair, dark hair, light hair, dark hair, light hair. We don't know what the color of these people are, but whatever. 
It is best to have blacks and blondes in turn. Yeah, you don't want two blondes sitting next to each other. That's going to definitely detour some spirits. <laughs> They're going to be like, mm, mess up the whole party. Nope, nope. It's, it's bad feng shui. Bad, bad feng shui. So, and now with your permission, I will turn the lights all out. Uh, what is the advantage of the dark, I asked. <laughs> the narrator's totally <laughs> afraid of the dark. <laughs> Are you sure? Like... We can turn off all the lights. Why? Why? Do do we have to? (laughs) Because the force with which we deal is a vibration of ether, and also so is light. We have the wires all for ourselves. Now, Hein? I'm guessing Hein means okay, because he keeps saying it. I think I think it's I think that's just how they're spelling. I think that's just how they're spelling. Like, huh? Huh? Oh. Huh? Huh? Oh, okay. I, I take it as like, I, I okay, mean the way, understand? Like, yeah, 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 which is the same thing. But the way the the way it's been used, it sounds like a, eh? Eh? Okay, eh? okay. Eh? Eh? <laughs> you will not be frightened in the darkness, madame. What a fun is a seance. <laughs> <laughs> At first, the darkness appeared to be absolutely pitchy, but in a few minutes, our eyes became so far accustomed to it that we could just make out each other's presence, very dimly and vaguely, it is true. I could see nothing else in the room, only the black loom of the motionless figures. We were all taking the matter much more seriously than we had ever done before. You will place your hands in front. It is hopeless that we touch, since we are so few round so large a table. You will compose yourself, madam, and if sleep should come to you, you will not fight against it. And now we sit in silence and expect... So we sat in silence and expected, staring out into the blackness in front of us. A clock ticked in the passage. A dog barked intermittently far away. Once or twice a cab rattled past... Once or twice, a cab rattled past in the street, and the gleam of its lamps through the chink in the curtain was a cheerful break in that gloomy vigil. I felt those physical symptoms with which previous seances had made me familiar. The coldness of my feet, the tingling in my hands, the glow of my palms, the feeling of a cold wind upon my back. Strange little shooting pains came from my forearms, especially as it seemed to me in my left one. Uh Uh-oh, he's having a heart attack. (laughs) That's not good. This isn't good. That's not good. Uh, Well, and and the the Frenchman just told the lady, like, sit calmly, be still. If you start feeling sleepy, just let it happen. Because he wants this person to, like, take over her body. Well, and I'm just thinking if a stranger walks into a room and says, sit in the dark, and if you start feeling sleepy, just let it happen. The That's last thing I'm going to do is go to is sleep sit quietly and let it happen. <laughs> like, the fuck? Especially um, if it's some strange stranger with a, you know, sexy accent. <laughs> a nondescript accent in this case. Uh <laughs> Clearly this guy's clearly this guy's faking because I don't know where he's from based on his accent. <laughs> Strange little shooting pains came in my forearms. <laughs> why why did they come into your forearms? <laughs> I, I this is gonna be the paragraph the that we wrong, don't 
I am fastest this is, is the this wrong is it. word. This is going to be the paragraph that we don't get through, isn't it? This is going to be, this is where the story stalls up. Oh no, and it's not, it's not, like the fun hasn't even begun yet. Strange little shooting pains came in my forearms. <laughs> Especially as it seemed to me in my left one, which was nearest to our visitor. Do no doubt to the disturbance of the vascular system, but worthy of some attention all the same. At the same time, I was conscious of my strained feeling of expectancy, which was almost painful. From the rigid, absolute silence of my companions, I gathered that their nerves were as tense as my own. And then, suddenly, a sound came out of the darkness. A low, sibilant sound. The thick, thin breathing of a woman. Quicker and thinner, yet it came. <laughs> You're a child. I know. <laughs> <laughs> it's like the breathing of a woman, and they're talking about how it came. So I'm like, well, yeah. <laughs> Mrs. Mrs. What's-Her-Face is having a good old time in the corner in the darkness. <laughs> <laughs> She's not sleeping. She ain't sleeping, y'all. Uh, blah, blah, blah. Quicker and thinner, yet it came, as between clenched teeth to end in a loud gasp with a dull rustle of cloth. Yeah, that sounds about right. That sounds about right. See? <laughs> What's her name? Mrs. Mrs. Does something D? Mrs. Del Delmere? Delmere. Delmere. Mrs. Delmere is uh, masturbating in the corner. Well, the lights are off, and, and the French guy just said, go with it. Yeah, so she went with it. <laughs> or the Frenchman's being a, the French tickler in the corner with her. Ooh. Oh, oh no. Ooh, baby. <laughs> with those stubby little Ooh, fingers. Baby, baby. Oh, Attack baby, the French baby. Tickler. <laughs> that's, that's another Sherlock Holmes mystery. Sherlock Holmes and the Attack of the French Tickler. <laughs> Hell yeah. I feel like that's like the porn equivalent to a Sherlock. <laughs> like like if there's a yep. porn version of Sherlock, the Shercock. <laughs> Shercock Holmes and the French tickler. <laughs> it's it's I think it's Shercock Horns. Shercock Horns. Okay. Tickler. Um trademark, yeah. trademark, trademark. <laughs> that could make bank. <laughs> that's like that's some Zack and Miri make a porno like shit right there. Yep. <laughs> like we got a whole series here. All right. Uh, where was I? Okay. What's that? Is all right? Is is all right? Someone asked in the darkness. Yes, all is right, said the Frenchman. It is Madame. <laughs> she is in her trance. <laughs> That's what That's I call what we're it too. It. <laughs> it is Madame. She is in her trance. Now, gentlemen, if you will wait quiet, you will see something. I think, which will interest you much. <laughs> I feel like this is turning into like a weird sex seminar as opposed to a seance. <laughs> this is already just the porn Sherlock Holmes. It is. Look, we didn't even know. <laughs> She's in her trance. Gentlemen, if you wait, you'll see something you really want to see. Please welcome to the stage, Mrs. Delmere. Uh, 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 uh. <laughs> Still the ticking in the hall. Still the breathing deeper and fuller now from the medium. 
Still the occasional flash, more welcome than ever, of the passing lights of the handsomes. <laughs> I do like the pa- passing lights of handsomes when I'm uh, breathing heavily. <laughs> 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 I know it means handsome cabs. <laughs> At least they're good looking cabs and not ugly cabs. That's good. <laughs> yeah. Two, two hour, um, two hour uh, watchdogs and correctors. Yes. Yes. <laughs> to your mom. What a gap we were bridging. The half-raised veil of the Eternal on the one side and the cabs of London on the other. The table was throbbing with a mighty pulse. (laughs) Apparently someone's already excited to see whatever they're going to see. It swayed steadily, rhythmically, with an Easy, swooping, scooping motion under our fingers. Yep, it does that. It does that. Sharp little raps and cracks came from its substance. File firing, volley firing, the sounds of a cigarette burning briskly on a fo- frosty night. It, that was a different word, but I'm not going to say it. Yep. Even though it's, it's a British term for cigarette, you know what it is. I'm not going to say it. It's also a bundle of sticks. It is a bundle of sticks as well. There is much power, said the Frenchman. See, it's on the table. I had thought it was some delusion of my own, but all could see it now. There was a greenish-yellow phosphorescent light, or I should say a luminous vapor rather than a light, which lay over the surface of the table. It rolled and wreathed and undulated in dim, glimmering folds, turning and swirling like clouds of smoke. I could see the white, square-ended hands of the French medium in the baleful light. What fun, he cried. This is (laughs) splendid. Shall we call the alphabet, said Moore. What's that mean? I guess we're going to find out. A, B, C, D, E, F, G, H, I. Is that how you, like, protect yourself from spirits? I don't know. Like, I don't know. I don't know. Uh, shall we call the alphabet, said Moore. But no, for we can do much better, said our visitor. It is but a clumsy thing to tilt the table for every letter of the alphabet. And which, and with such a medium as madam, we should do better than Shall that. we call the alphabet? That's, um, we'll, we'll, we'll say the alphabet out loud and, and hope that the spirit will like bump the table. It's like a Ouija on board. On the letter that'll, it's like a Ouija board. Yeah, yeah. It's like a verbal Ouija board. Cool. Yeah. Yes, you will do better, said a voice. <laughs> Who was that? Who spoke? Was that you, Markham? No, I did not speak. It was Madame who spoke. But that was not her voice. Is that you, Mrs. Delmere? It is not the medium, but it is the power which uses the organs of the medium. Oh, no. It is not the medium, but it is the power which uses the organs of the medium, said the strange... Oh, it's a deep voice. (laughs) (laughs) Take three. Take three. It is not the medium, but it is the power which uses the organs of the medium, said the strange deep voice. Sometimes reading ahead a little bit is a helpful skill. (laughs) 
this just proves we don't read these ahead of time, y'all. Like when we make these choices that are like, oops. Where is Mrs. Delmere? It will not hurt her, I trust. The medium is happy in another plane of existence. She has taken my place as I have taken hers. That does not comfort me at all. That's creepy. That's like the worst thing they could have just said. <laughs> it's like, wait, no, we asked, is she okay? <laughs> did you hurt well, she her? She did say happy. It, yeah, did, I, it did say she's happy. I guess. I mean, it says she's in a happy place. It does not say that she's happy. Didn't it say she is happy on another plane? I mean, how presumptuous of this spirit to like know what the medium's feeling. <laughs> who are you? It cannot matter who I am. I am one who has lived as you are living and who has died as you will die. Oh, Jesus. <laughs> Ominous. Okay. We heard the creak and grate of a cab pulling up next door. There was an argument about the fare and the cabman grumbling hoarsely down the street. The green-yellow clouds still swirled faintly over the table, dull elsewhere, but glowing into a dim luminosity in the direction of the medium. It seemed to be piling itself up in front of her. A sense of fear and cold struck into my heart. It seemed to me that lightly and flippantly we had approached the most real and august of sacraments, that communion with the dead of which the fathers of the church had spoken. Don't you think we are going too far? Uh, should we not break up this seance, I cried. <laughs> <laughs> but the others were all earnest to see it to the end. They laughed at my scruples. All the powers are made for use, said Harvey Deacon. If we can do this, we should do this. Every new departure of knowledge has been called unlawful in its inception. It is right and proper that we should inquire into the nature of death. We spent so long trying to figure out if we could do it that we didn't ask if we should. If we should. Yep. Yep. It is right and proper, said the voice. Yeah, I'm not taking advice from that voice. Yeah, I, I mean, like, come on. I've seen Ghostbusters. Like, you don't, like, <laughs> this, is, this is not how it works. <laughs> there, what more could you ask, said Moyer, who was much excited. Let us have a test. Will you give us a test that you are really there? What test do you demand? Well, now, I have some coins in my pocket. Will you tell me how many? <laughs> it's not a fucking magician, you dumbass. <laughs> what have I got in my pockets? A dick. Um, <laughs> That's not in my pocket. I don't know. Sometimes it like goes off to the side. I don't, it, it might be near it his pocket. It usually swing that far to the pocket. Don't look at me like that. Maybe the, maybe the spirit is, is sassy. <laughs> we come back in the hope of teaching and elevating and not to guess childish riddles. See? Yes, that's exactly what I said. I'm like, this ain't a magic show, you fuck. Like, I came all this way to like teach you something, and you're like, tell me how much money is in my pocket. Me, me, me. I came all this way to teach you something, and you're like, where's my penis? <laughs> Who has the biggest dick in the room? Tell us, spirit. It's on the unicorn head. Ha ha ha. Mr. Moore, you catch it that time, cried the Frenchman, but surely this is very good sense, what the control is saying. 
It is a religion, not a game, said the cold, hard voice. Oh, fuck. Exactly, the very view I take, cried Moore. I am sure, I, I am very sorry if I have asked a foolish question. You will not tell me who you are? What does it matter? Have you been a spirit long? Yes. How long? We cannot reckon time as you do. Our conditions are different. Are you happy? Yes. You would not wish to come back to life? No, certainly not. <laughs> oh, shit. <laughs> are you busy? <laughs> we could not be happy if we were not busy. There's something comforting about this conversation. Yeah, I kind of like this conversation. <laughs> what do you do? I have said that the conditions are entirely different. Uh, can you give us no idea of your work? We labor for our own improvement and for the advancement of others. Do you like coming here tonight? <laughs> I'm guessing I, I made that the narrator. <laughs> I am glad to come if I can do any good by coming. Then to do good is your object. It is the object of all life. On every plane. You or see, Mar Yeah, it should be. Exactly. You see, Markham, that should answer your scruples. It did, for my doubts had passed, and only interest remained. Uh, ha have you pain in your life? I asked. No, pain is a thing of the body. H have you mental pain? Yes, one may always be sad or anxious. That's disappointing. Do you meet the friends whom you have known on Earth? Some of them. Why only some of them? Only those who are sympathetic. Do husbands meet wives? Those who have truly loved. And others? They are nothing to each other. There must be a spiritual connection? Of course. Is what we are doing right? If done in the right spirit. What is the wrong spirit? Curiosity and levity. Ruh -roh. May harm come of that? Very serious harm. What sort of harm? You may call up forces over which you have no control. Evil forces? Undeveloped forces. Uh, you, you say they're dangerous. Dangerous to body or mind? Sometimes to both. This is fucking creepy as fuck. <laughs> I'd be like, bye. Well, these are the answers you get if you're chatting with someone from the beyond. Yep, this is when you, you erase the Ouija board. You do the... Bah, 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 bah. <laughs> you're like, nope. I don't want to talk to you anymore. You're good. No, thank you, Zuzu. No, thank you, Zuzu. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> there was a pause, and the blackness seemed to grow blacker still, while the yellow-green fog swirled and smoked upon the table. Any questions you would like to ask, Moyer? said Harvey Deacon. Only this. Do you pray in your world? 
one should pray in every world. Why? Because it is the acknowledgement of forces outside ourselves. What religion do you hold over there? We differ exactly as you do. Uh, we have no certain knowledge? We have only faith. These questions of religion, said the Frenchman, they are of interest to you serious English people, but they are not so much fun. It, it seems to me... <laughs> <laughs> the Frenchman's like, come on, let's be more interesting. Don't ask for the meaning of life. That's boring. <laughs> Y'all are boring. Ask what the ladies are like over there. Yeah, right. <laughs> what the fuck? Uh... It seems to me that with this power here, we might be able to have some great experience, huh? Uh, something of which we could talk. But nothing is more interesting than this, said Moyer. Well, if you think so, th that is very well, said the Frenchman, answering peevishly. For my part, it, it seems to me that I have heard all this before, and that tonight uh, I should wish to... Try some experiment with all this force which is given to us. But if you have other questions, then ask them. And, and when you are finished, then uh, uh, we can try something more. I think your Frenchman became Irish during that speech. I was it's written in dialect, and I was reading the dialect. <laughs> <laughs> Whatever. We've established but it was this just Frenchman. A lot of this. It was sort of, he was living in this place a little bit, and it got very, very... um. Well, I'm making that him. Sort of I'm making sound. him more frantic now because he seems to be very excited. <laughs> Frenchmen don't get excited. <laughs> yeah, he's he's trying to figure out what the uh, what the sex parties are like in the afterlife. Exactly, that's what he wants. But the spell was broken. We asked and asked, but the medium sat silent in her chair. Only her deep, regular breathing showed that she was there. The mist still whirled about the table. You have disturbed the harmony. She will not answer. But we have learned already all that she can tell. Eh? For my part, I wish to see something I have never seen before. What then? You will let me try? What would you do? I have said to you that thoughts are things. Now I wish to prove it to you and to show you that which is only a thought. Yes, yes, I can do it and you will see. Now I ask you only to sit still and say nothing and keep your hands quiet upon the table. The room was blacker and more silent than ever. The same feeling of apprehension which had lain heavily upon me at the beginning of the seance was back at my heart once more. The roots of my hair were tingling. It is working, it is working, cried the Frenchman, and there was a crack in his voice as he spoke, which told me that he was also strung to his tightest. The luminous fog drifted slowly off the table and wavered and flickered across the room. There, in the farther and darkest corner, it gathered and glowed, hardening down into a shining core, a strange, shifty, luminous, and yet non-illuminating patch of radiance, bright itself but throwing no rays into the darkness. It had changed from a greenish-yellow to a dusky, sullen red. That's not a good sign. 
<laughs> nope. Then round the center, there coiled a dark, smoky substance, thickening, hardening, growing denser and blacker. And then the light went out, smothered in that which had grown round it. It has gone. Hush, there is something in the room. We heard it in the corner where the light had been. Something had breathed deeply and fidgeted in the darkness. Uh-oh, we've had stories about things that fidget in the darkness in the past. Yes, we have. <laughs> things that make creepy noises and appear out of nowhere. Yep. <clears throat> what is it? The Duke, what have you done? It's, it's all right, no harm will come. The Frenchman's voice was treble with agitation. Good heavens, Moyer, there's a large animal in the room. Here it is, close by my chair. Go away, go away. It was Harvey Deacon's voice, and then came the sound of a blow upon some hard object. And then, and then, how can I tell you what happened then? I don't know. Tell me, tell me. Oh, God. Me. Ew, ew. Oh, my God. Some huge thing hurtled against us in the darkness, rearing, stamping, smashing, springing, snorting. The table was splintered. We were scattered in every direction. It clattered and scrambled among us, rushing with horrible energy from one corner of the room to another. We were all screaming with fear, groveling upon our hands and knees to get away from it. Something trod upon my left hand, and I felt the bones splinter under the weight. Fuck, man. Jesus. Ouch. Fuck. Ow. I mean, to be fair, the first spirit said, you don't just do this for your own amusement. And then the well, French guy yeah. was like, oh, I want to be amused. Like, yeah, this is this is what they get. This is what they were warned about. Now we know why the Frenchman left town. <laughs> I bet the Frenchman yep. did. That's all I got to say. Um, a, a light, a light, someone yelled. Moya, you have matches, matches. N no, I, I have none, Deacon. Aware of the matches. For God's sake, the matches. I, I can't find them. Here, you you Frenchman, stop it. <laughs> you Frenchman, stop it. <laughs> it. It is beyond me. Oh, oh mon Dieu. I, I cannot stop it. The door. Where is the door? My hand, by good luck, lit upon the handle as I groped about in the darkness. The hard-breathing, snorting, rushing creature tore past me and butted with a fearful crash against the oaken partition. The instant that it passed, I turned the handle. The next moment, we were all outside, and the door shut behind us. From within came a horrible crashing and rending and stamping. What is it in heaven's name? What is it? A, a horse. I, I, I saw it when the door opened, but <laughs> Mrs. Delmere... Oh, it's a fucking unicorn! It's a unicorn. There's a fucking unicorn in the room! <laughs> oh, shit! But Mrs. Delmere... We must fetch her out. Come on, Markham. The longer we wait, the less we shall like it. He flung open the door and we rushed in. She was there on the ground amidst the splinters of her chair. We seized her and dragged her swiftly out. And as we gained the door, I looked over my shoulders into the darkness. There were two strange eyes glowing at us, a rattle of hooves, and I had just time to slam the door when there came a crash upon it which split it from top to bottom it's coming through it's coming through this is like when the velociraptors learn how to like break glass in jurassic park it's like or worse when they learned to open the door open handles. the doors but yes <laughs> this is very jurassic park isn't it 
They spent so much, so much time trying to figure out if they could do the thing. Not worrying about if they should. Right? And I've watched that movie like twice in the past five days because it's been on the crew TV. So it's very funny that this <laughs> is... Uh, yep. It's coming through. It's coming through. Run for your lives, cried the Frenchman. Thanks, fucker. <laughs> Another crash and something shot through the riven door. It was a long white spike gleaming in the lamp. Yep. Gleaming in the lamplight. For a moment, it shone before us, and then with a snap, it disappeared again. Quick, quick, this way, Harvey Deacon shouted. Carry her in. Here, quick. We had taken refuge in the dining room and shut the heavy oak door. We laid the senseless woman upon the sofa, and as we did so, Moyer, the hard man of business, drooped and fainted across the hearth rug. Harvey Deacon was as white as a corpse, jerking and twitching like an epileptic. With a crash, we heard the studio door fly to pieces, and the snorting and stamping were in the passage up and down, shaking the house with their fury. The Frenchman had sunk his face on his hands and sobbed like a frightened child. Yeah, you deserve it. It's your fault, dude. What shall we do? I shook him roughly by the shoulder. Is a gun of any use? No, no, the, the, the power will pass. Then it will end. You might have killed us all, you unspeakable fool, with your infernal experiments. I did not know. How could I tell that it would be frightened? It, it, it is mad with terror. It was my fault. He, he struck it. Harvey Deacon sprang up. Good heavens, he cried. A terrible scream sounded throughout the house. I was just going to ask, where's his fucking wife? It's my wife. Here, I'm going out. If it's the evil one himself, I am going out. He had thrown open the door and rushed out into the passage. At the end of it, at the foot of the stairs, Mrs. Deacon was lying senseless, struck down by the sight which she had seen. But there was nothing else. With eyes of horror, we looked about us. But all was perfectly quiet and still. I approached the black square of the studio door, expecting with every slow step that some atrocious shape would hurl itself out of it. But nothing came and all was silent in the room. Peeping and peering, our hearts in our mouths, we came to the very threshold and stared into the darkness. There was still no sound, but in one direction, there was also no darkness. A luminous, glowing cloud with an incandescent center hovered in the corner of the room. Slowly it dimmed and faded, growing thinner and fainter, until at last the same dense, velvety blackness filled the whole studio. And with the last flickering gleam of the baleful light, the Frenchman broke into a shout of joy. What fun, he cried. No one is hurt, and, the only, and only the door is broken, and the ladies frightened. But my friends, we have done what has never been done before. And as far as I can help, said Harvey Deacon, it's will certainly never be done again. <laughs> and that was what befell on the 14th of April last at number 17 Batterley Gardens. I began by saying that it would seem too grotesque to dogmatize as to what it was that actually occurred, but I give my impressions, our impressions, since they are corroborated by Harvey Deacon and John Moyer, for what they are worth. 
You may, if it pleases you, imagine that we were the victims of an elaborate and extraordinary hoax. Or you may think with us that we underwent a very real and very terrible experience. Or perhaps you may know more than we do of such occult matters and can inform us of some similar occurrence. In this latter case, a letter to William Markham, 146M, The Albany, would help to throw light upon which is very dark to us. The end. Very cool. Wow. <laughs> I just want to point out that that is the first time we have read a ghost story where the ghost was a unicorn. <laughs> we had a unicorn ghost. That's the, that's hot. <laughs> that's new. Uh, Mark Fisher I, I, Fitness. I Mark well, Fisher Fitness. Need, yeah. <laughs> You'll need to reach out to need to reach out to Mark Fisher Fitness and and ask if they want to sponsor this particular episode. Who, who knew that there would be unicorns all over this episode, like literally we'll, piercing we'll doors? Brand it with nothing but unicorns. <laughs> well, the images for this episode's artwork is going to be pretty clear. <laughs> but yeah, no, that was fun. That was very fun. That was like fucking like raising demon spirits and stuff. That was. <laughs> Yeah. Um. Uh, when the unicorn was coming out, I kept having visions of like, um, uh, legend. Oh yes, yes, absolutely. Well, there's another. There's another story. Oh, oh. Um. In, in a cabin in the woods, the unicorn is like a fucking yeah. demon. Like. Yep. It's a that's a real like that's one of the the boxes like that's uh, yep. is a unicorn. So that's hilarious. Like that's what I kept envisioning was that when that box unleashes and in cabin in the woods, which I refer to a yeah. lot on this podcast. Cause it's just fucking Cause good. it's really good. And it's, it's good at, um, it's an interesting way of, of telling a story that is kind of in the vein of a lot of stories that we read. And they, and because of what happens at the end of the movie, not to give anything away, if you haven't seen it and if you haven't seen it, what are you waiting for? Um, uh, they kind of, they lean into a lot of occult and a lot of like, uh, horror, like, genres so yeah yeah fears they lean into a lot of people like fears and nature and stuff but yeah i do think that's a movie that is technically speaking past the statute of limitations for spoilers i still try to avoid spoilers don't worry i'm just saying it's been around for a while i know it's really good um i've mentioned it at least five or six times on this podcast over the past year and a half probably more um and it's one of my i think it's i think it is my favorite horror movie like honestly, I think it because it's so yep. fucking smart. That's and, fair. Yeah, and it's it's just really really good. So go watch Cabin in the Woods if you haven't. But uh, yeah, that was a good story. That was very very good. What did you think, Camper? Did you also enjoy that story? Inquiring minds want to know. Send us a message on any of the social media. Just look for Campfire Classics or send us an email to 5050artsproduction at gmail.com. For those of you who don't know, 5050 Arts Production is our parent production company. So a big old thank you to them. And by them, I mean us. us. <laughs> um, but send us an email or a message and let us know what you thought of that story. If you enjoyed that one, um, what you thought about that compared to last week's story. Um, are you afraid of unicorns now? Because I am a little bit. Uh, and when you send us that email somewhere in the subject or in the body of the email, send us this week's secret passcode. This week's secret passcode is... What's in my pocket? <laughs> What's in my pocket? It's my dick. <laughs> <laughs>
<laughs> I like that. I like that. What's in my pocket? <laughs> cool. Um, that was fun. I hadn't read in a while because it's been a few weeks since I was able to record. So yay. Yeah. So uh, thank you. Um, we hope you enjoyed this. And uh, coming at you once again from Puerto Rico. This is Heather Michelle Lawler. <laughs> and I'm Ken Sandberg. I hope you enjoyed that one. And until next week, this has been Campfire Classics, where we try to read those books that look really good on your shelf. Unicorn demon coming at you. Unicorn demon gonna stab you. Stab. <laughs> stab, stab, stabby, stab, stab. Don't play with fire, bitches. <laughs> I'll bet unicorns would be really good at stabbing.